Grab your Bible. Um, if you've got that near you, if you've got your phone available and you're not watching the stream on your phone, uh, go ahead and grab that and <clears throat> open or scroll to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we are going to be looking at verses 4 through 7, considering this idea this morning of finding peace in the Lord in the most trying times, finding peace in the Lord in the most trying times. So I'm going to begin by, by reading that text, and, and I'm not going to ask you to stand. Uh, you can stay seated wherever you are, uh, whether that's on your bed or on the couch or on the floor. Uh, but we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So hear, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Paul writes this and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This morning as I, as I come to you, as we've already said, it, uh, we are in the midst of a very unique situation. We are in the midst of a unique situation for New Breed Church and, and, and many pastors and many churches are in a unique situation. It is unique in the fact that, that for the first time in our history as a church, we are not gathered together collectively on a Sunday morning to hear God's Word as God's Word is actually being preached. You are watching this from home. Now, I'm not saying that we haven't canceled service before, because we have. We've had bad weather and, and, and things of that nature, but I can guarantee you that I never stood in an empty room to preach. Uh, so, so this is unique for me. Uh, it's probably unique for you as well. And I know uh, that this is not the ideal situation. You know, some of you, uh, we, we, we've had conversations with, with a lot of you members of the church, and, and there are people on kind of both sides, and that's okay. Some people uh, don't necessarily agree with the decision that we made and said it might have been a little too early to make that call, and we understand and we respect that. And some of you have reached out to us and let us know how thankful you are and thankful that you had the opportunity to still hear the sermon in real time because you said you wouldn't have come anyway. Uh, and, and so we understand and we appreciate that, but, but even still, regardless of where where you fall, what a blessing it is that we live in a day and age where we can still collectively hear God's Word together with the technology that we have. And so we are, uh, even though it is not ideal, we're still excited for this opportunity, but it is new to us. And I, I want to make one thing clear. I, I mentioned it as we were praying earlier, but we want you to know that we do not think this is the same as the gathered body. Uh, I had prayed and, and do believe that there is nothing that will replace the collective gathering of the people of God together to sing praises to His great name, to encourage one another, and, and to hear God's Word preached. We know that this is not the same thing, but it is still a blessing. And so we are excited to have this opportunity. I'd mentioned, you know, we threw this stream together somewhat uh, last minute, and so we are hoping that we have all the glitches worked out, but continue to bear with us. Uh, we've got a little bit more time, so hopefully everything stays working and batteries don't die and, and all of that stuff. But uh, if it does, just bear with us, as I mentioned, because we'll fix it quickly and make sure that we, we finish this, this time together. 
What I want to say, and to reiterate, because some of you might have uh, missed the beginning of the stream, we would encourage you uh, that, that, that as this sermon is progressing, uh, to write any questions down that you have. You can actually write them there in the comment section uh, on, on the channel that you're, you're watching, uh, and we'll get those. And, and again, I won't see them here in real time, but at the end of this sermon, we'll, we'll have a little, uh, a little time of Q&A. And so those could be primarily hopefully questions about the sermon, but if you just have some questions about where we are and what's going on, you can feel free to, to write those as well. We will do our best to answer as many as we can, or we might not have any, and that's okay too, and at which point we'll, we'll pray and we'll, we'll call, it, call it a Sunday morning. I also want to encourage you again to, to focus on, on God's Word. Uh, I know that you may be tempted to, to listen in the background as you're working around the house, engaged in other things, but I would encourage you to focus on this time, and as I mentioned earlier, just as if you were sitting here right in front of me. You know, we started last week a series through the book of Habakkuk entitled God's Justice in an Unjust World. And Lord willing, we will jump back into that next week. But we wanted to take this morning and offer just a little encouragement as we wade through uh, these somewhat uncharted waters as a church, uh, as a community, as a country, and as humanity. We know uh, that with this coronavirus, there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of uncertainties. And for many of us, there is a real sense of fear and worry. Uh, if we're honest, that's where, that's where some of us are. And some of us as Christians are unsure of what our response should be. And so we wanted to take this moment and just focus on this idea of finding peace in the Lord in the midst of the most trying times. And so in the text that we just read, I believe that there's somewhat of a formula uh, for finding peace in the Lord in the most trying moments. Now, it's not a one plus one equals formula. It's not, it's not this, you just do it and it happens. But, but there is still kind of this progression and this formula of what must be present if we are going to genuinely find peace in the Lord in the midst of the most trying times. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to walk through that formula to help us better understand how we respond, what our lives as Christians should be marked by even when things go wrong and even when things are uncertain, and ultimately see how it is that we find peace in the Lord. So here's the first part of the formula that I want you to see this morning. If we are going to find peace in the Lord in, in the midst of the most trying of times, we must be people who rejoice. We must be people who rejoice. Look at what it says there again in verses 4 and 5. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. And then he says, the Lord is near. The call to Christians is to rejoice. As I've said many times before, when we think about this idea of rejoice, the call there is to find joy in the Lord over and over and over and over again. We are to be marked we are, be to, we are to be marked as people of continuous joy in the Lord. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, the, the fruits that the Spirit produces in us as we walk in fellowship with God is joy. We are to be marked by joy. But, but I want you to understand that this is a unique joy. 
It is different than what the world defines as joy for two reasons. First, because our joy is not based off what we have or don't have. Our joy is not based off of what we have or don't have. You, you know, the psalmist understood this in Psalm 4, verse 7, when he reminds us that the Lord has put more joy in our hearts than they have when their grain and wine abound. You see, in the world's logic, the more you have, the more joyful you are. We see that all around us. That the more you have, the more joyful you are. The more money you have, the more protection you have, the more security you have, the more stuff you have in this world. Our our world tells us that, that, that that's the most joyful that you can be. But for us, it's different. You see, the world can have all its goods and all of its money and all of its devices, but still, it will never compare to the joy we have in the Lord. Because our joy is not based off what we do or don't have. Our joy is not based off whether we have health. Our joy is not based off whether we don't have good health. Our joy is not based off of the the status of our bank account. It's not based off of the car that we drive. It's not based off of the house that we own. Our joy does not come from the things of this world. Our joy is found in the Lord. But not only is our joy not based off of what we have and don't have, our joy, and hear me, it's not based off of our circumstances. And we need to hear that this morning, that our joy in Christ, if it is genuinely in Christ, is not based off of our circumstances. See, our joy transcends even the most difficult situations. And that's why James can write in James 1, verses 2 through 3, consider it great joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. He says, consider it great joy when you face trials. You see, James understood that the joy the Spirit produces in the life of a believer transcends circumstances because it's not based on circumstances. Notice how I have continuously said to you, joy in the Lord, not joy in health, not joy in wealth, not joy in prosperity, not joy, joy in your circumstances. Our joy is found in the Lord. And that is a joy that will transcend all the goods of this world and will transcend any circumstance. Again, some of us need to be reminded of that this morning because for many of us, if we're honest, as this situation has unfolded, as we have, as we have heard more of coronavirus, and it's almost, it's almost like speaking that is a curse at this point, right? But as we've heard more about it, as we've, we've learned and the situation has unfolded, there have been many uncertainties that have been placed before us. We don't know exactly what our circumstances will be in the next day, in the next week, and in the next month. And the sad thing is that for many of us, even as Christians, it has caused us to lose our joy. And what that means is that perhaps, perhaps our joy was not where we thought it was. Perhaps our joy was not actually in the Lord, and I know you're sitting here thinking, man, I thought you were trying to encourage us. I'm not saying any of this to be mean. I'm not trying to rail against you or condemn you, but it is something that we have to examine. Because in the midst of the difficult circumstances, 
or in the midst of difficult circumstances, the question becomes, are we able to rejoice? And if we're not, perhaps that means that our joy isn't actually in the Lord like we think it is. Because I want to tell you, your joy in this moment and in this season does not depend on whether you get sick or stay well. Your joy does not depend on the health of your family. It doesn't depend on the stability of your job or whether or not you will be able to snag a pack of toilet paper. Your joy, if it is true joy, will only be found in the Lord. But notice something else that's interesting there in verse 5. It says, let your graciousness, or some of your translations might say reasonableness or, or gentleness, be known to everyone. Do you realize this? Do you realize that you will be an example of reasonableness, of gentleness, that, that you will be an example of graciousness, even in the midst of this chaos, when you are able to rejoice in the Lord? You will be a testimony to those around you. Because that statement, it, it's very interesting to me. It basically says that, that our joy in the Lord will keep us balanced, right? It will keep us reasonable. It keeps us from falling into panic, but it also keeps us from ignoring this altogether as if it is not a real struggle and a real problem. Our joy in the Lord is the thing that keeps us reasonable and it keeps us balanced because when we rejoice in the Lord, listen, we are rejoicing in one who cares about people. So this will lead us to care about people and not ignore or minimize genuinely painful and difficult realities for other people. In light of our current situation, right? Joy in the Lord and knowing who He is will keep us from acting like this doesn't really matter and that people aren't really struggling and people aren't really scared and they're not really fearful. It will keep us from going that direction. But we are also rejoicing in a God who is in control. And so therefore we have no reason to fear. So it will keep us, right, from running to this extreme of this doesn't matter. We just need to stop talking about it. We just need to ignore it. But, but our joy in the Lord will also keep us from running to this place of fear and panic and anxiety because it reminds us that we serve a God who is in control. That none of this has caught Him by surprise. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, well, that is great. I want to be that person. I want to be the person who rejoices. I want to be reasonable. But how? How do I do this? Well, at the very end of verse 5, Paul records four words that will drive us to rejoice in the Lord. He says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. He wasn't saying that to be cute. He wasn't just throwing it in there. Paul knows that that statement, when it is internalized and believed, will drive us to find joy in the Lord. Because that truth, that the Lord is near, when we begin to understand the weight of it, it will push us to joy. Because that simple statement, hear me, that simple statement reminds us of where He is and who He is. That statement that the Lord is near reminds us where He is and who He is. You see, the statement tells us where He is. He is near. In the midst of the painful, in the midst of the hard circumstances, in the midst of the uncertainty and confusion and worry and anxiety, the Lord is near. Psalm 34 verses 17 and 18 reminds us the righteous cry out and the Lord hears. 
and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Similarly, James 4.8 reminds us that as we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. The Lord is near. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of confusion and questions, God is not far from you. You know, one of the lies that Satan will try to convince us of is that in the midst of chaos and in the midst of confusion and pain and uncertainty and in the midst of real heartache, God must be far from you. Or else you wouldn't be going through this. You wouldn't have those questions. You wouldn't have those uncertainties. If that's where you are, Satan will tell you, then that means that you are far from the Lord. But Scripture reminds us that the complete opposite is true. That God is near to the brokenhearted. He is not far from us when we are in these seasons of confusion and question and, and struggle. He is not far. He is near to us in the midst of uncertainty. And we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the fact that the Lord is near. And as we hold on to that, it will push us to joy. But again, that statement does not just tell us where He is, but it reminds us of who He is. It reminds us of who He is. Listen to me, church. This is the Lord that we are talking about. This is the God of all creation who sits in the heavens and does as He pleases. This is the God that is sovereign over all creation because He spoke it into existence. This is the God who was the same yesterday, today, and will be for all of eternity. This is the God who is near. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Our God is not caught off guard by what is going on. He is not waiting for the CDC to give Him new information so that He knows how to best govern the world. He is not in a lab studying studying this virus to try and figure out what makes it what it is. This is the God who allows all of it to exist. This is the God who holds the world in the palm of His hand. He is not guessing how this will end because He exists outside of time and He has already orchestrated and allowed everything that will come to be. This is the sovereign God of eternity and this is the God that is near to you. Therefore, we rejoice. We rejoice. You see, when, we, when that statement starts to impress on our hearts this idea of where God is and who He is, those two truths will drive us to just rejoice in the fact that our God is in control and our God is near. And He is not shaken by this. He is not shaken. So if we are going to find peace in the Lord in the most trying of times, We have to be people who rejoice. But next, not only must we be people who rejoice, we must be people who plead. We must be people who plead, who plead with God. Look at what it says there in verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know what so often robs us of peace in this world? Is worry and anxiety. 
is worry and anxiety, of being fearful of what lies ahead. And that will rob us of peace. And here in this passage, Paul calls believers not to worry about anything. And the way that he, he argues to combat that, if you're not going to worry about anything, then it means you've got to be praying about everything. Paul is calling us here to plead with God. To make sure that we are laying our concerns at the feet of Jesus through prayer. We serve a God who is big enough and strong enough to handle your concerns. To handle your questions and your uncertainties. He is big enough and sure enough in who He is that He can even handle your doubt. And so, we plead with God to act. We beg of God to act. We long to see God act. And we make that known through prayer. But we do have to be careful. Because though we plead and and beg and long, we never demand of God. Because you see, one of the things that, that faithful prayer does is it reminds us of how desperately we need God. When we beg of God, when we plead to God, when we cry out to God, it reminds us how desperately we need Him. But something changes when we start to demand of God, God, you have to do this. You see, that flows out of a heart of pride. But we want to have hearts that are humble enough to understand that we are not God, that we are not in control, that we are not sovereign. That we don't have the future worked out, but we know the one who does. And so prayer humbles us. Therefore, we ask, we beg, we plead. But the moment we start demanding of God is the moment we have elevated ourselves to a place that we do not belong. Faithful prayer humbles us. But it is also meant to be an encouragement to us. Have you ever thought about that? That prayer, the very act of praying, is meant to be an encouragement to you. Because though we need God, God wants us to come. I mean, can we just pause for a minute and think about how amazing it is that God actually invites us to talk to Him? That we're not having to fight for His ear. We're not having to plead with Him just to give us His attention. But that God invites us to come and pray. Proverbs 15.8 reminds us that the Lord actually delights in the prayers of the righteous. He delights in hearing us make requests of Him. He delights in us speaking to Him. He wants us to call out to Him. And that should encourage us that the God of all eternity wants us to communicate with Him through prayer. But what is even more amazing isn't that God invites us to pray, but it's that God hears our prayers and actually responds. I mean, consider what we read a few moments ago from Psalm 34, just verse 17 though. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. He hears and rescues them from all their trouble. That verse right there should be an encouragement enough for us this morning. That the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and He rescues them from their troubles. But I want you to notice how He says to pray about everything. He says, don't just pray about what you want. Don't don't just make requests, though you can. But... We, we should be praying about everything. 
See, prayer is not just about making requests. It is a means by which we are led as we live in our relationship with God. Let me say that again, that prayer is a means by which we are actually led as we live in our relationship with God, constantly depending on God. You see, when we talk to God, it should not just be about us making requests of Him. God is not a genie in the sky who exists to answer every wish that we have. But as we pray, when we are praying and giving thanks to God and praising God, we're we're allowing God to lead us. I love the question that Corey Ten Boom asked when she said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? You see, God wants us to cry out to Him. He wants us to cry out to Him in every moment, in every season, with whatever is going on. And even though we may not always get the answer that we want, it is good for us to plead with God. And it will drive us to peace. But I, but I want you to notice something, and maybe this will help explain it a little bit further. I want you to notice something else about the verse. He says that as we pray, we are to do so with thanksgiving. See, oftentimes we'll skip over that, right? To pray about everything. But we skip over that we're supposed to pray about everything with thanksgiving. You see, even when we are making passionate pleas to God for God to act in the midst of our pain, when we are making passionate pleas for God to act in the midst of our struggle, when we are making passionate pleas for God to act in the midst of hardship and uncertainty and questions, we are still called to do this with thanksgiving. And you might be thinking, well, how in the world do I do that? If I am hurting and struggling and frustrating and in pain, how do I give thanks? Well, here's how you do it. We make it our aim to always give God thanks for His kindness and goodness to us even when things seem to be crumbling all around us. Again, you may be thinking, well, if things are crumbling all around me, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, that's a great question. We can always give God thanks. We can always give Him thanks in our prayers. And we can give Him thanks for the fact that He even listens to those prayers. We can give Him thanks that He allows us and wants us to talk with Him. Yet your world might be crumbling around you, but you can still give thanks to the fact that when you cry out to God, He hears you. We can always be thankful that not only does He allow us to talk to Him, but as I mentioned, He listens to us. We can praise Him and give thanks in our prayers Because He sent His Son into the world to save us from our sins. Listen, our world might be crumbling around us, but if we are in Christ, we always have a reason to give thanks. But I want you to notice why we do this. Why it is that we give thanks when we pray. And there are two reasons. The first reason is because He is worthy. We give thanks to God in the midst of, in the midst of hard times, in the midst of, in the midst of changing circumstances, in the midst of uncertainties. We, we, we give thanks and give Him the praise that is due His name because He is worthy. The Bible tells us that every good gift comes from Him. And that means that, that we can give thanks for anything good that we have in our life. 
And I know at times it might not seem like there is anything good going on, but we always have good that is happening. Because again, as I mentioned, if you are in Christ, you have salvation and and you are held secure in the hand of God. And that is something good that you ought to give thanks for even in the midst of the most uncertain times. So we, we give Him praise and thanks and we give Him glory because He is worthy of it. It is due His great name. But second, the second reason that we give thanks in everything is because it can change our perspective. It can change our perspective. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you have. I know it's happened for me, and I'd be willing to bet that it's happened for some of you. There have been times where I have come before the Lord in prayer with a great burden on my heart, a great need, that there is something that has just gone terribly wrong, or I am struggling, or in the midst of great uncertainty, and before I just start unloading my requests, before God, I try to do this anytime I pray. I start by taking some time to just give thanks to God. Before I ever make a request, before I ever ask Him to do anything, I've spent the first part of my prayer just giving thanks to God. And so, so let's say I'm in the midst of a, a very difficult situation with my family. Uh, let's say someone's sick or someone is dying and we just want to plead with God to act. And as I come to Him and, and I stop and just take the first part and just give Him thanks, Lord, thank You so much. That even now, when I'm struggling, you hear me. God, and you listen to me. And God, you, you love me. You, you listen because you care. And God, you love me. And, and, and that love has been made known most clearly in Jesus. And God, I, I thank you that, that I am in Christ and that He is in me. And I know that whatever happens in this life, that I am safe and secure in His hands. And God, I, I thank you that, that you have been for me and that you have never let me go. I thank you for that. And, and then when it gets time to make that request of God, your, your mind's actually changed a little bit. Not that you won't make that request, but you come not so much out of a sense of desperation, but more out of a sense of anticipation because you have reminded yourself through your thanksgiving that God is for you and not against you. You see, we, we pray and give thanks because it can change our perspective. I have had so many times where I have in, entered into a time of prayer and I have felt like, woe is me and the world is against me. And just by taking a few moments to give thanks to God for His goodness and His kindness in my life, it changes everything everything. We believe that, chair, that we believe that prayer changes things and often we are the thing that has changed. And giving thanks has a way of reminding us that God is for us and He has not abandoned us because sometimes we feel like the weight of the world is crashing down on us simply because we have not taken any time to reflect on how good God has been to us. Again, giving thanks has a way of reminding us that that God is for us and that He has not abandoned us. And this leads to the the final aspect of our formulation, the the formula, the the culmination of the formula. uh, When you are a person who rejoices and when you are a, a person who pleads with God with thanksgiving, the outcome will be that you will be a person who finds peace. You will be a person who finds peace in the midst of the most uncertain times. Look at verse 7. And Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. What a sweet promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know, church, that this is a promise. This is a promise. This is a promise given by God that when we are people who rejoice in the Lord constantly and when we are people who live in constant communion with God through prayer, and it is a peace, as it says here in this scripture, that surpasses all understanding, meaning it doesn't make sense. Church, it doesn't make sense to the world why we can rejoice in the Lord as schools are shut down and people are without jobs. It doesn't make sense to the world why we can still rejoice in the Lord as people are getting sick. It doesn't make sense that we can give thanks to God in the midst of difficult circumstances and need. It doesn't make sense. It is because this peace of God that surpasses understanding has come to us as we live in fellowship with God. And it shouldn't make sense to the world, but it is is promised to us if we are faithful. And I don't know about you, but that's the peace that I want. A peace that is given by God and is held by God. And it it might not make sense, but it is a peace that transcends our struggle and our pain and our circumstances. It doesn't ignore them and act like they're not there, but it is peace in the midst of it. And this peace comes because as we rejoice, And as we plead, our minds are fixed on Jesus. And we are trusting in Jesus. And Isaiah 26 verse 3 declares to us that you keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Another sweet promise that God will keep us in perfect peace. Peace when our mind is stayed on Him. Because if our mind is stayed on Him, it is evidence that we trust Him. And in that peace, our hearts and minds are guarded in Christ Jesus. But that phrase, church, that phrase, in Christ Jesus, it is so important because it reminds us that the ability to have peace, now now don't check out on me here, church, the ability to have peace is ultimately secured not by what we do, but by what Christ did. Our hearts and minds are guarded in Christ Jesus. Our peace is secured ultimately not in what we do, but by what Christ did because He is our peace and we can live in this peace because of Christ Jesus. Jesus is our peace. You see, even here and now, church, too many of us Christians are running around forgetting that the greatest need we ever had was already met in Christ Jesus. The great plague that humanity needs deliverance from is not the coronavirus. The plague that that humanity needs deliverance from is the plague of sin and that deliverance was already won on a hill called Calvary. And in light of that, we know that everything else is light work for God. Everything else pales in comparison. If He can conquer sin, He can conquer anything. And that should be hopeful for us. That if God can conquer sin, He can conquer this virus if He chooses. And in the midst of that, we have hope in any affliction. And in that, we have peace. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have also obtained access through Him by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice, hear me, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And he says this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Church, hear me. Our hope will not disappoint us. Our hope will not disappoint because Christ will not disappoint us. He has proven that through the cross. He has already delivered us from our our greatest hindrance to being in fellowship with God, and that is sin. He has delivered us from that plague, and everything else is light work for God. Our hope will not disappoint. And so to you this morning who are listening, who are here, and who are believers, I want to remind you that there is peace in the most trying times. And this may be one of those times for you. But rejoice in the Lord, knowing that our joy is not found in what we have, it is not found in our health, and it is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is in the Lord, and who He is and what He has done, and He will not be shaken. But there is also peace as we plead with God and give Him thanks, reminding ourselves frequently of the fact that God is for us. He is not against us. That God has loved us and continues to love us and He has has secured us and saved us in Christ Jesus. God is for you. Right now, this moment, He is for you. So we make our requests known to Him and we plead with Him with a heart of thanksgiving. And as you do that, God has promised that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. But if you happen to tune in and you are listening to this and you are not a believer, I want you to know that there is no peace in this world apart from Christ Jesus. There is no peace. There is no peace in in your finances. There is no ultimate peace in the stuff that you collect. There is no peace in your health. There is no lasting peace in this world in anyone other than Jesus Christ. And things like this that's going on, the coronavirus, it reminds us of that because it reminds us that in a moment God can take everything away. But what He will never take away is the peace that we can have in Christ Jesus. And so if you are not a believer... I want to tell you that that peace is available to you today. And it is available to you because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. We believe and know that our sin separates us from God. There is no peace apart from God. And we deserve, because of our sin, hell for all of eternity. And yet God, in His love for us, and out of the overflow of kindness and who He is, He sought to redeem us and He sent Jesus and Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live. We might try to live it. We might try to be good moral people, but we always fall short. 
Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that falling short means that we deserve hell and to be separated from God. But, but God sent Jesus and he did live, as we mentioned, that perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He never stumbled. And so he was the only person who was not worthy of, of death and, and, and who did not deserve punishment from God. And yet he went to a cross and he was crucified and his blood was spilled and he died in our place so that the wrath of God could be satisfied because our God is just and holy and he cannot tolerate sin. And Jesus was buried and three days later he raised from the dead and in his resurrection from the dead we were, we were told and the testimony was declared that this, this, this sacrifice was accepted. And we can be made right with God by, by trusting in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross for us and, and by repenting of our sins, by turning from our sin and running after God. And so you can have peace here this morning because of what Christ has done for you. You have to believe and repent. And if you've made that decision this morning and you want to know more about that, I would encourage you to contact one of the pastors at New Breed Church you can find our contact information on our website and we would love to talk with you more about that. But church, as we close, I want to remind you that for us who are in Christ Jesus, there is peace here and now in the most trying of times because our sovereign God is still on His throne. He is not shaken. He is not scared. And He is not playing catch up. Our God is in control. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful again for this opportunity to hear from You in Your Word. Lord, I pray that, that as this Word was proclaimed, Lord, that perhaps that it, it brought some peace and some encouragement to people who are perhaps scared and struggling and questioning what the next few days will hold. But God, we believe that You are in control. We believe that You are sovereign. So help us to be a people who rejoice, who rejoice in any season, in any circumstance. Help us to be a people who plead with You, but do so with thanksgiving. And help us to be a people that believe that as we are faithful, that there will be a peace that comes from You that surpasses even our own understanding, God. So give us grace to make much of You even during this season. We love You. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close, I want to read the rest of that section there in Philippians 4. Paul says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. That is my final exhortation to you this morning that we need to be people in the midst of this time who are dwelling on what is good, what is true, what is honorable, and what is pure. And I just want to remind you that of all of those descriptions, God fits every one of them. We need to be a people in this season who are dwelling on God. Not dwelling on the media, not dwelling on the news. I'm not saying you can't listen to that. You should. It's helpful information. But we are a people that dwell on God. And as we do that, the God of peace will be near to us. Let us be a testimony to this world of what it looks like to have joy in the most uncertain times and peace in the most trying times as we fix our minds on Jesus.